This week's parsha, Parshas Nasi, is the longest parsha in the entire Torah. In fact, there's a uh, beautiful saying, and that is that it's the parsha that we typically read right after Shavuos, which we had last week, the week that, or the Yom Tov, the day that Hashem gives us the Torah, and therefore we want to celebrate the Torah by learning as much as we can. And therefore, this is the longest parsha of the Torah. But really, the reason why it's the longest parsha of the Torah is because of a very lengthy section at the end of the parsha which discusses the karban, the sacrifice, that each nasi, each pr- uh, prince of every tribe brought when the mishkan was consecrated. The mishkan was consecrated uh, in, the, um, in the desert on the first day of Nisan. And then for the next 12 days, every day, one of the princes brought a special karban, a special um, sacrifice, which was called Chanukas HaMishkan, the consecration of the mishkan. And... They all brought exactly the same sacrifice, made up of the same amount of animals and silver and whatever. Um, and yet, the Torah gives us on the first day, the Nasi of Yehuda brought and goes through all the steps of his karbon. And then on the second day, the second Nasi. And this repeats itself 12 times as the Torah describes in detail what each Nasi brought on his day, although it was all exactly the same. But each one is, I think, six psukim long, six verses long. So if you do six times 12, this is, so you have another 70-something psukim, and this is how this parsha becomes the longest parsha in the Torah. And obviously, there's the famous idea, which is why does the Torah have to tell us over and over and over what each one brought if it's the same thing? It could have just said it once and then say, and the subsequent 11 days, every you know, subsequent nasi brought the same thing. And the answer given is that even though different people might do something that seems the same, everyone does it with his own feelings, with his own intentions, and with own meaning. And therefore, even though externally it looks the same, it's really a whole different act when one takes into account the feelings and intentions and meaning behind or that infuses the act. And that's what the terrorists trying to tell us, that there's specific and unique individual messages of each Nasi's karban. And in fact, when we look into the Medrashim, they actually go through the, each of the karbanos and explain how there's different thoughts and messages and ideas behind each of them, though again, Physically, they brought exactly the same thing. So, I want to zoom in for a moment to one of the Nasim's karbon, and that is the Nasi of Ephraim. Ephraim, who is, of course, a son, one of the sons of Yosef. And um, Ephraim brought the karbon on the seventh day. What's unique about bringing on the seventh day is that the seventh day was Shabbos. So, he brings the sacrifice on Shabbos. Now, bringing a sacrifice on Shabbos is not simple. Because one is not allowed to sacrifice an animal on Shabbos. To be sure, in the Beis Hamikdash, there was the special Shabbos sacrifices, but that was what was set, the set communal sacrifice for Musa for Shabbos or whatever. But a private sacrifice could never be brought on Shabbos. And here we have the the individual, the private sacrifices of the Nisim, and Ephraim is being brought on Shabbos. And there is a fascinating medrash on this week's parsha that says it quotes a pasuk from Eov where Hashem says, if you give me something, if you lay out for me, so to speak, I will pay you back. And the Medrash says that Yosef HaTzadik kept Shabbos before Shabbos was even given. Of course, Yosef lives before the giving of Torah, so there's no obligation to keep Shabbos. And yet Yosef keeps Shabbos. So Hashem says, you kept Shabbos before Shabbos was given. I'm going to reward you by the fact that your descendant is going to bring a carbon on Shabbos, and I will accept it. And that's how the Medrash looks at this. It says, so that this that Ephraim is bringing his carbon on Shabbos is, in a sense, a reward for the fact that Yosef kept Shabbos before Torah was given. 
That's what the Medrash says, which is somewhat strange. Why would it be that the reward for keeping Shabbos would be the fact that later someone could desecrate the Shabbos? How is it that the desecration is the reward for keeping it? And the answer is that, to the contrary, the Medrash is saying that when Ephraim brought that korban on Shabbos, it wasn't a desecration. Hashem says, because your great-grandfather Yosef, because he kept the Shabbos before it was given, I am going to make that your korban is going to be a Shabbos korban, not considered a desecration of the Shabbos, to the contrary. It's going to be considered a new korban of Shabbos. It's almost as if it's a Shabbos korban, a special new korban for Shabbos, as a reward for the fact that your grandfather Yosef kept Shabbos before it was given. Again, not that there's a desecration here, but to the contrary, that this becomes a special, unique carbon of Shabbos. The question still becomes, what's the deeper idea here? Why is it that the reward for Yosef's Shabbos in Egypt is that now there's a new carbon that normally would be forbidden, but now it's a carbon of Shabbos? And here the Rebbe teaches us this a beautiful message. Yosef was great and famous specifically for being in a place of tremendous unholiness, uh, darkness, immorality. Egypt was a very unholy place. And Yosef was able to bring Kedusha, holiness, even there. And this is really what set Yosef apart from everyone else, from all the other, from his brothers, the other Shvatim, that they were all, you know, they were uh, shepherds, they were in solitude, that's how they were spiritual people. Yosef was able to be a viceroy of Egypt, totally immersed in a place like Egypt, and still bring Kedusha to the, to the place, bring holiness into a place which would seem to be a vacuum of holiness. That's what Yosef is. And in fact, the name Yosef means Hosafa, means to add. He was always adding and bringing Kedusha holiness into places that were not holy. And therefore, the reward for his avoda is that something that typically would not be holy, would something that would typically be forbidden, can also become holy. And that that sacrifice, which normally would be a desecration of Shabbos, becomes actually a Shabbos mitzvah. And that was a direct expression and extension of what Yosef's avoda was all about. Being Mosef, adding and bringing Kedusha into places that normally would seem to be the opposite of that. And this therefore becomes a tremendous message for all of us as well. Um, because we all, in our life, there's the Kedusha parts of our life that are sort of easy to be holy in. You know, when we're, when we're davening, when we're learning Torah, when we're doing an actual mitzvah, it's easy to be holy. The bigger the bigger challenge is to bring Kedusha, bring holiness into those areas and places and parts of our life that on their own don't seem to be holy at all. And this is the gift that we receive from Yosef who represents that and gives us the ability to be Mosif, to add, to bring more and more Kedusha into every aspect of our life and every aspect in this world, even places that aren't on their own seemingly holy, and that way to flood the entire world with holiness until the coming of Mashiach may it be speedily. Have a wonderful Shabbos.